1: It is Friday, the end of another week on Political Rewind, but really, uh, this Friday is one in which we're looking ahead, even uh, in, in a in more focused way than we normally do, because Monday, the Democratic National Convention gets underway. The following Monday, it's the Republicans' turn, and uh, I just want to quickly, at the very top of the show, tell you that, you know, like a lot of people, including uh, one of our panelists. Today, Wendy Davis, who is a delegate from the Georgia delegation to the convention. We all thought we'd be in Milwaukee next week, Charlotte the week after. And, of course, those conventions are going almost entirely virtual. But we are going to, on political rewind for both of those weeks, uh, uh, do the shows as if we were there. We'll be talking to delegates. We'll be uh, playing highlights from speeches. Uh, We'll be talking to party officials and... uh, representatives of the Biden campaign, the Trump campaign the following week. So uh, we're going to be a good source for you to follow the conventions as they unfold. Uh, And we'll talk a bit about it today uh, in our show. Uh, So let's get started right away by introducing the panel. Uh, Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is back with us, as he is on Mondays and Fridays. Jim, yesterday on our show, Patricia Murphy said... She was really glad the conventions were getting going. Is it something new to write about? Are you looking forward to having uh, uh, the conventions
2: to uh, write about? Well, you, really. you, you, <laughs> have to wonder, you have to wonder what is new. I mean, basically, what well, we're going to be—we're going to be watching. It, you're going to see something a little different, I suppose, on your computer screen or or, or on your TV. Uh, you won't be able to escape it. I mean, the, the, the DNC sent out a. Uh, uh, a kind of a guide on how to watch and it, it, every 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 little system that you can think of whether it's YouTube whether it's whether it's TV whether it's a direct link you, you'll be able to watch it uh, I will tell you you know what I will miss most of all is the morning meetings of the the, the state delegations. On both the Republican and the Democratic side, because that's often, you know, you've got a thousand, two thousand journalists covering the national news, but that's where a whole lot of real, real state news happens.
1: Yeah, Um, that's exactly right. And we are not going to have those uh, at this convention, which is too bad. But in any case, you're going to be with us for a good part of our coverage of both conventions on Monday and Friday of both of those weeks. Um, We're also joined today by uh, Dr. Audrey Haynes, professor of political science at the University of Georgia and the director of the Applied Politics program. Uh, Nice to have you with us, Audrey. I'm gonna, you're, Brian Robinson, the Republican uh, strategist, uh, communications expert, uh, former uh, communications director in the first term of Nathan Deal's gubernatorial uh, tenure is uh, with us and I believe you two Go back to UGA together, don't you? Audrey? Was he a student of yours? Thank you, Bill. I I how old do you think I am? <laughs> <laughs> I I thought I I didn't I didn't think about it in terms of age. It's, I, yeah. I, I apologize. No, it's
3: okay. <laughs> I, you know, um, we actually my, my, talked together. Right? She but, was uh, she was a child prodigy.
1: Oh, okay.
3: Yes. Brian, okay. good, yeah, no, Brian I just than it. he is. <laughs> Let me just tell you, Brian yeah. Robinson yeah. was wonderful. He filled in on the Grady side for the first year of the Public Affairs Professional Certificate Program, which includes applied politics, and he was fantastic and and has helped so many of our students in so many ways.
1: All right, uh, all right. Well, I, yeah, I it apologize. Was a great
4: and Audrey, Audrey took me under her wing and taught me a lot. And uh, and we have been bosom buddies ever since.
1: All right. Well, I'm, I'm certainly glad to have both of you here uh, for the show today with all we have to talk about. And we're also joined once more by Wendy Davis, I mentioned uh, just a minute ago. Uh, Wendy, you are what we used to call a super delegate to the Democratic National Convention because you're a member of the Democratic National Committee. Uh, you're also a commissioner in the city of Rome. But, Wendy, we don't call... We don't call them super delegates anymore, do we? That 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 became a negative label during the twenty sixteen fight between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, and sort of got thrown away, right?
0: Well, we are technically automatic delegates, but I just want you to call me Wendy, and I'm glad to be on with you today.
1: <laughs> it's good to have you here. All right, uh, we talked an awful lot about the coronavirus in Georgia yesterday, and. But, but I do want to spend at least the first couple minutes of the show today and then move on to other things. And the reason for that, Jim Galloway, is twofold. Uh, number one, uh, uh, since the show yesterday, uh, Governor Kemp has decided to drop his lawsuit against the city of Atlanta. He no longer will try to block them from having a mask mandate in place, uh, which also frees up other cities, uh, presumably, to continue their mandates or to put them in place. Uh, but he, uh, in addition to that, may, we really saw what was the most important concern that he had in all of that, I think, which was he also issued an, uh, uh, an executive order that businesses could essentially do what they wanted, even in cities where the mask, there are mask mandates. Have I got that right, Jim?
2: Well, uh, that's that's what's going to be. That's what he says will be in an order that he has to issue uh, by tomorrow, uh, when 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 his previous order expires. Yeah, it's uh, it, w- what was interesting is in, in in his statement where he announced that he was dropping it. He, he, he cited the, the mayor mayor Kuchelans Bottoms' intransigence in mediation on, on the issue of of masks, but he never mentioned the word masks. Uh, he was always uh, you know it was it was all, always he was doing whatever he had to do in defense of, of private property and business owners uh uh which which tells me that number 1 he was he was losing the messaging contest there uh and 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 uh, uh wanted wanted to move on to other ground uh the other thing you have to think about bill and i, I mentioned this in in in, in, a, in a sunday column is is that you know you've got to Good possibility that Donald Trump is not going to be uh, president on on January 22nd, uh, 2021. Uh, And and if that case is if that's the case, then you've got a situation uh, uh, that that would that would be familiar to Brian Robinson here in in that uh, you have a, a Republican governor and a Democratic White House and the mayor of Atlanta is your pathway to that White House. And so that might have that, that might have uh, played a role in some th- some of his thinking.
1: A uh, uh, very interesting, uh, Brian. Um, let me ask you a question. You can respond to what Jim said, but let me ask you a, a, another question, and then you can take both up if you want. If, during your tenure, I mean, I think Jim makes a good point. Apparently, Governor Kemp and his people realized they lost the messaging war on this. Uh, they they just couldn't hold the line on not. Uh, the notion of suing the mayor was probably a a step too far on this thing. Uh, They might've fought with her about it, but going to court uh, put them behind the eight ball, I thought on this. Could you imagine having wanted to help your governor, Nathan Deal, when you were with him, uh, move in that direction? It just seemed like a losing proposition from the start, Brian. Well, you know, I can't change
4: the history of what I said two to three weeks before he filed that lawsuit. You know, I had been saying publicly, don't make the line of the sand about mask because you're going to lose the headline battle. And we're going to make national news again. And you're going to be playing from behind the eight ball the entire time. You're going to be playing from a defensive crouch. Draw the line on business openings say, we're not going to let local officials close down businesses. The state's going to be the final say. Our authority will supersede local authority on business openings because it is a uh, statement of principle from the governor that livelihoods are on the line, people's lifetime investments in their businesses are on the line, small businesses are teetering, et cetera, all legit, all makes a lot of sense. But the lawsuit gave... Mayor Bottoms and the national media, the opening that they wanted to say he's a mask denier, he's a health denier, et cetera. And my advice to him was, not privately, we didn't he, he didn't ask for my advice for the record, <laughs> but my public advice was <laughs> let these mayors try to enforce these mask mandates and let them fall on their face than what the governor was saying came to fruition, that these really aren't enforceable. And to the governor's point, I'm not aware of one ticket being issued anywhere during the time that those ordinances were in effect before the governor came in to say that, that they couldn't take effect. So the mayors, let them fight that battle. Let them be on the front lines there and let the governor be the guy standing up for small businesses. And I I hear Jim on the door to the White House thing. That was the case with uh, Mayor Reed and and Governor Deal when Barack Obama was in the White House. I don't think the governor is looking that far ahead. And I certainly don't think he's making any strategic uh, moves based on the idea that Joe Biden will be president.
1: Uh, Meanwhile, Audrey, uh, once again, the White House task force, which issues weekly, when I say issues, They compile weekly reports on how each state is doing in terms of the spread of the virus. They are not released to the public. They are held very closely, uh, but they're starting to get out now. Last week on this show, we talked about a report, the first one that became public, that was released on like written on July twenty sixth, showed Georgia in the red zone, one of the worst states. In the country, in terms of the spread of the virus. And the AJC has now seen and published this morning a look at the more recent report. August 8th, I believe, is the date on that one. And once again, it says that the state of Georgia is simply not taking the steps that the task force, Deborah Burks, Dr. Fauci, and others are saying need to be taken to stem the virus here. It is an ongoing problem. We've gotten to a high plateau. And so far, we're not coming down. Audrey?
3: Yes. And I was looking at that data yesterday. And the, and the most disturbing uh, point that I saw mm-hmm. was that in our deaths per 100,000, we're beating all those other states, too, including Texas and Florida. So that's uh, problematic. The other thing that's problematic is if you look at public opinion, you know, and you look at the messaging coming from the White House, the CDC, um, from from Dr. Toomey and the governor themselves. They're all saying, wear a mask, but they're framing it within personal responsibility, and they're talking about legal issues. But 34 states um, have areas with mask mandates, and everyone is talking about how the only prevention, if you want to open business back up and provide protect those livelihoods, is to give people at least that sense of security that comes from Wearing a mask, you're more likely to go someplace when you know that a business requires a mask and is wearing a mask.
1: All right. Um, Wendy, we're going to talk in more depth about the upcoming Democratic convention in a little while. But while we're talking coronavirus, it seemed rather clear from the uh, speeches that Kamala Harris and uh, Joe Biden gave when he introduced her formally as his running mate that there's going to be a lot of talk about the virus and what Democrats believe is President Trump's uh, poor performance in responding to it in the week ahead, Wendy. It's going to be, I can't imagine there'll be a night that goes by in those four nights and not many speakers who don't address it in some way. Can you?
0: No, and and how could you not address it, right? I mean, and, and let me just speak as a city official, uh, you know, we, we have a, a big problem here in Rome um, and we passed a mandate and Two or three days later, the governor stepped all over it. Um, you know, just telling people pretty please is not going to be effective. If we can get mask wearing up to eighty uh, percent, the healthcare officials here in our community tell us that that would have the same impact as the shutdown in March had. And um, there are mistakes all over the place. I, for the life of me, as political and as partisan as I am, I can't understand how this public health crisis has become so partisan and political. It's, it's disappointing. It's scary. Uh, and, and people are getting sick and dying because of it. We've, we've just got to get together and protect our neighbors and uh, try to get through this.
1: Um, Jim, one last point on the virus and we'll move on. Uh, as you well know, Chuck Evstracian, the Republican uh, uh, state representative from the Decula area, uh, was on our show yesterday and surprised all of us Uh, When he introduced a proposal that he's going to uh, bring to the legislature in their January session, uh, he says it's time really to get very serious about how we deal with the virus here. And I thought the most important part of that plan is he is going to uh, uh, ask the legislature to approve a, uh, a, a request that the federal government bring enough money into Georgia for a free, rapid response tests for everyone in the state Uh, it's it was it was interesting to hear a carefully laid out plan there are two other points to it but that one was certainly the showcase it was interesting to hear that he's thought this through uh jim
2: yeah and and what's also interesting is is that it's a state legislator who's doing it uh you know not 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 the white house not the governor uh, that, that it's, that, that you're seeing, that you're seeing this bubble up from the bottom. And I think it's, I, I think you're, 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 what you're seeing is some, uh, some, some nervousness on the part of, uh, Republicans that they're not being aggressive enough on the pen on the pandemic. I mean I mean, and do keep in mind this has this you know the, the geography matters Chuck Effstration is from Dekula. he is from a rapidly changing pol- area in uh, in Gwinnett County politically so uh, I I think I think it, it, what he's doing says says quite a bit about the clim- climate in Georgia Yeah
1: I thought it was fascinating and we're going to watch that unfold in the weeks ahead All right um, why don't we spend a little time uh, now talking about the Democratic National Convention, this virtually all-virtual uh, convention. Wendy, I'm a little unclear, and maybe you can clarify it for me. Uh, are there? We, we know that the Republicans are going to have at least some business sessions in Charlotte, uh, but the president won't be there. None of the speeches will take place, to the best of my knowledge. Am I right? Are, is there any in-person activity in Milwaukee next week, or is the entire convention being done virtual?
0: Um, to, to my understanding, it's all virtual. As a matter of fact, the party and the campaign are asking people to not even gather for watch parties, right? To, to stay safe, to stay uh, to stay connected to each other uh, electronically, right? Um, to, to not meet in person. Although I have heard A few little scattered rumors that, you know, I've heard the number 300 people will be in Milwaukee, but I've never confirmed that. So everything about it feels virtual to me. Uh, But we will be having some state delegation activities. Um, My my friend, Mr. Galloway, was saying how much he will miss the breakfast. We're going to do virtual breakfasts every day. Um, So uh, we will have a little bit of those state delegation uh, opportunities to meet together.
1: Um, and also a chance to hear from surrogates for the campaign who come to those breakfasts every day to uh, give you talking points of, and to tell you about messaging for the day to take out to the floor, which won't exist <laughs> this time around. <laughs> well, right?
0: I, well, you know, I mean, I, I know that that, that <laughs> you know, talking points for the day is, is a part of it, but. I mean, frankly, the thing that has been exciting to me in the, at the past conventions about those breakfasts are those opportunities to see national figures um, in, in that sort of up close and personal way. So um, I, I'm hopeful that we'll at least at those breakfasts have an opportunity to maybe ask a few questions or to have their remarks be a little bit more specific to our delegation.
1: Brian, you're the communications person on the panel today. You're, that's a specialty that you're, uh, you now have with your company, Robinson Republic. I, I want to ask you how we you Well, congratulations. That's, that's great. Congratulations. Um, so I, I thought—I watched the Biden—like many of us did. I watched the Biden-Harris announcement event at that gym in Wilmington the other day. And I I find no fault with the messaging, with the content of what they were saying. But from my point of view, and I'd love to see what others think, I thought it showed us how difficult it can be for a politician, or for that matter, any of us, to adjust to this reality where those speeches which they're used to giving in front of crowds of people, there's an energy there, suddenly they're in essentially an empty room and i thought for biden especially but even harris at the beginning of her comments we could feel the slight awkwardness of that um and 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 i'm wondering if we think the entire conventions are going to play out with people being a little uncertain about how to uh present themselves how to energize their i I just find this is going to be an interesting challenge i think brian
4: no, I, I totally agree, and I am fascinated as a communicator to see how this plays out. I do know that these speakers, and this is true of the Democrats and the Republicans, you know, your members of Congress, your your local big wigs from different states, they're getting a minute to speak. Now that makes a lot of sense to me in the sense that nobody is going to watch a ten minute video of somebody sitting in front of their laptop talking about political talking points uh, uh, boilerplate, because without the audience, without that energy, the walk-in music and all the visuals, it's just not compelling television. And I think in many ways, this cycle may be the death of the televised national convention, because there's going to be so little interest in the product despite whatever huge efforts both parties make. And look, the importance of that crowd, look at the Measures the leaps that President Trump took to try to keep that live crowd going, even trying to move the convention to Jacksonville because that energy, that visual of the the cheering crowd is so important to what this nominating process has, has come to be in our country. And he feeds off of that crowd. Now, on the flip side of this, I'm not being partisan here. Um, I think this setup might be beneficial to Joe Biden somewhat because he now is in a contained atmosphere all the time where he can be scripted. He's much less likely to be out in public building questions where he says things that are confusing or don't make sense or he can't complete a sentence, which is what we see when he when he speaks um, off the cuff. He cannot stay uh Within a sentence, he can't finish a sentence, and this allows him to be scripted and look presidential, which is he did look presidential in the rollout of Kamala Harris. And, of course, the the dichotomy, the divergence between how how, uh, good she is on the stump, how quick she is on her feet uh, really draws a contrast with how bad he is at it at this stage in his life.
2: You know, Bill. Uh, one, I'll take Brian Brian's point on the, on the importance of of, of applause. I think uh, that's 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 going to be a, a tremendously uh, that, that's going to create a huge vacuum. I think. Uh, I, I mean, just think of, think of all the times you've watched a, a a a presidential convention, and you have just just spent minutes watching the the, the confetti and the balloons and the cheering. Uh, while, the, while, the, while, while the person on the podium waits for that opportunity just to, to kind of to get get a word in. But let me, let me point you to something that, that, that that's kind of on my mind this morning is you've had President Donald Trump is, is now saying that he's going to, he's going to give his acceptance speech on the Republican side the week following from the White House, okay? Uh, he, too, will be in that same situation where he doesn't have, have, have a, a supporting crowd. But if you're doing it at the White House, you're going to have a non-supporting crowd. You're going to have people on the streets in, uh, in, in Washington, D.C., uh, surrounding the White House in protest, more than likely. Uh, and it's, it's kind of going to be an anti-convention, and I'm wondering how he's going to feed off that. That's really a fascinating
1: question because we know that the cameras will be covering whatever is going on out on Pennsylvania Avenue or uh, around the block from the White around the White House. Um, Audrey, so to counter something Brian says, we do know that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Joe Biden can be challenged a bit at times when he's speaking off the cuff. At the same time, uh, mm-hmm. this notion of how hard it is to calculate how you send out your energy how you position yourself as you give a speech. I mean, we have learned that President Trump is not especially uh, uh, good at reading from a teleprompter, which is what he will be doing with his speech. In fact, I've been wondering something, Audrey. We know that during the coronavirus early briefings, the first round of briefings he did, he was very excited and proud of the what he called huge ratings he was getting for those briefings which is one of the reasons he brought them back again. But they're very different briefings this time. The first time, he, was, he just let fly. I mean, he would stand there for an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, spar with reporters, uh, make ca- his kind of outrageous statements, and, uh, and I'm sure those did attract big ratings. These new versions of these briefings, which are much more like what he'll do when he delivers his acceptance speech, stick to a teleprompter, I'll bet you the ratings aren't anywhere near as good because they're really kind of boring, Audrey. <laughs> Whether you like the president or not, those are boring uh, uh, briefings.
3: Uh, you just raised the, um, the challenge that both of these conventions are going to have. And let me just say, um, Brian was right. I think that uh, Biden does benefit somewhat from the structure. And the structure is going to be much more controlled, 9 to 11 prime time. People aren't going to be speaking for a long period of time. I guarantee you there are going to be some very high production videos. And just to give you a taste of what the Democrats are going to be doing, thematically, broaden the coalition, um, the coalition of conscious, unite America, big themes. And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, they have you know their blockbuster talent coming in. And it's going to be about, you know, we're a big tent. Sanders to Kasich on Monday night. Tuesday, uh, Clinton to AOC. All ages. Uh, Wednesday, women. Lots of women. You're not going to have that on the Republican side, unfortunately. Thursday, the stars. All the people who were part of the co, um, the presidential election. They're going to be there, and they're going to be saying Biden's our man. And you, you've got Michelle, you've got Brock, you've got Jill. You've got a lot of stars coming, and they're speaking for short periods of time on the Republican side we don't know what the lineup is the only guaranteed speaker I saw
0: was President Trump
1: <laughs> Wendy?
0: Can, can I can, I, can I, I those are really good points Audrey I want to push back on one thing I mean I think uh, uh, we're forgetting that uh, if we had a regular in-person convention you know the 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 acceptance speech would be a teleprompter speech anyway, right? Like I, the True. point is very well taken that you, you won't have the energy, but I think what we're going to miss uh, by not being in person in terms of what um, former vice president Biden's strengths are, are the, that, that the way he connects to people and the, and so I'm hoping that a lot of those well-produced pieces will, will give us that opportunity to see that, that connection, that, That Biden very naturally has with people,
1: as does Senator Harris. All right, let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way. Although I do want to mention one thing as we go to break. Um, uh, uh, This, Brian, I think it was you who talked about the one minute speeches by some of the uh, uh, folks who are appearing at the convention. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who's quite a young star, obviously, in the party, is one of those people who's only getting one minute to speak and the Washington Post today had a kind of a, a a fun little story about the fact that when she saw she only had 1 minute to speak she tweeted out a poem which had been written by Benjamin E Mays it doesn't explain the context of why he wrote the poem but apparently at one point he had a 1 minute speech to give and here's what the poem says I only have a minute 60 seconds in it forced upon me I did not choose it but I know that I must use it give account count if I abuse it, suffer if I lose it, only a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. And uh, so that is how she is approaching her one-minute speech through the lens of Benjamin E. Mays. I just thought that was a lot of fun. All right, let's get in a break, and we'll be back with more on Political Rewind.
2: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today.
1: With us on today's show, uh, my partner on Mondays and Fridays, Jim Galloway, Wendy Davis, Rome City Commissioner and Delegate to the uh, Democratic National Convention, and a member of the Democratic National Committee, uh, Brian Robinson and Professor Audrey Haynes. Um, Jim, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms is being given a very favorable spot to speak. She's on Thursday night, the night that uh, Joe Biden will accept the nomination, give his speech. Uh, We don't do it quite. I I don't know the exact order, but she's not going to it's they're not going to be too many people separating her from uh, uh, the vice performer, vice president. And I suppose that honor comes not only because she's raised her national standing so much in the last months, but because she's been on the Biden team for far longer than anybody else in Georgia.
2: Yeah, she was she was she, I think she was the first prominent Georg, uh, Georgian to 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 come out for Biden. Uh I remember she was uh, she uh, if if I'm not mistaken the first debate uh democratic debate was in Miami uh and she was sitting she was there sitting next to Jill Biden uh and it was an important moment. Uh and and uh you know at, at at those at those especially in those moments in those first few debates where where Biden was really struggle struggling to make himself known among among just that i mean just remember that that we started out with this huge stage filled with with uh with candidates and it was hard to to kind of break through and 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 Biden just he, he you know he he didn't have his moment for a long time and and she helped prop him up
1: well and if uh, may I jump when go ahead, Wendy.
0: <laughs> well, sure. I was gonna jump in and say it's and it's not only that commitment that the the mayor made to to Biden, but um, you know, what has followed through too is the importance of Georgia as a battleground state. Uh and we we shouldn't dismiss that. And that's a really uh new and terrific position for our state to be in. But yeah, hey, the uh, mayor was there every step of the way.
2: Uh, if, uh, Wendy, let me ask you this: uh, the one person we have not seen listed on the speaking uh, on the speaking uh, uh, list of speakers is Stacey Abrams, and I, I just can't imagine that that we'd go through four days without seeing her in some fashion. Are you Are you picking up anything on this? Uh,
0: I'm 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 expecting that she'll she'll be on on the program. There are, there are a lot of people who haven't been added to the program yet, right? So I'm I'm expecting to see her. I'll be surprised if she's not there. I was um, speaking to
3: a friend of mine who works closely with um, Stacey Abrams, and she is definitely on uh, one of the speakers that they're going to have. There are, there are a lot of people. You'll notice that on the list that are on the website, um, there are quite a few people who are very prominent that are missing, including a lot of celebrities, too, that I expect that we'll see, that will be popping in and giving endorsements throughout. But they're doing most of the, the speeches, um, primetime, 9 to 11. It's such a limited period of time. So,
1: um, Brian, what do you imagine? Um, Wendy talked about the uh, state delegation breakfast uh, that happened every day during a convention, mentioning that uh, often the surrogates for the candidates will uh, come into uh, – they're assigned to different states on different days, as you well know. I'm wondering what you think about how – how Georgia, in both next week and following week, will be courted by uh, by their by the campaigns. In other words, Brian, is Michelle Obama likely to show up at the Democratic uh, breakfast uh, one day, the delegate breakfast? Some of the bigger hitters. The following week, will Vice President Pence be? In other words, do you imagine that both parties are going to be courting Georgia very seriously? Which, of course, would be an indication that they see the state in play.
4: Absolutely. And, look, this has been coming for some time. And one thing I I always say with my Democrat friends like Wendy, who want to argue that Georgia is a purple state, I always say, whoa, 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 we're a purpling state. It will not be a purple state (laughs) until Democrats cross that threshold and win a statewide race again. And you know, that's coming, right? I, mean, I think anybody who says it's not, that the status quo of the last 20 years is going to hold, is is blind or just doesn't really know much about politics. Uh, Georgia is going to be a focus, and it's already a focus for the Republicans. Trump was advertising here in June, I mean, which is extraordinary. This is a state where usually neither party <laughs> spends $1 on TV campaigns for the entirety of the campaign. So it's a remarkable difference. We're not seeing the Democrats match that at this juncture. Now, I'll be watching. I'll be watching to see what they do, but they have not been on the air here the way that the the Trump campaign has. So, yes, you're going to see the big stars courting Georgia, and you're going to see them spend significant resources here in our state this this fall on both sides, I would imagine. I don't know what the Democrats are going to do.
0: Brian, I, I've got to push back on that a little bit. The the national party and, and the, has been investing in Georgia for more than a year, and investing not in TV ads, but in uh, in ground troops. And uh, I think that's going to make a, a bigger impact than than television ads. And uh, and I appreciate you uh, considering me one of your Democratic friends. Uh, likewise, it's been good to work with you of for the years.
4: Yes, and of course, let me, um, let me we, we, by, say by, I, I was I was being very very specific about TV ads. Um, I, I don't doubt that they're investing in, in, in
1: ground troops. Well, let's be clear, Jim. the uh, The Biden campaign has has either has bought to uh, start airing or reserve time through the election. Two hundred eighty million dollars worth of ads, which at this point is far more. We talked about this on the show last week. Far more than the Trump campaign, with all of its money resources, has invested in reserving time. They haven't done that at this point. Um, yeah, yeah. We it, know it, that it, some it, of that money is, in fact, earmarked for Georgia.
2: Right, and it, and the, and the the important word there is earmarked. I mean, it's it's not it's not money yeah. spent yet. It is it is reserve, time reserved in case. Uh, the the opportunity arises, uh, but the other thing I think you have to look at when you when you when you when you when you, when you talk about uh, a democratic investment in in Georgia, is you've got to look at the the senatorial contests and the and the efforts to to snag the seventh district congressional seat and 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 preserve uh, Lucy McBath in the in the sixth, because that those are all those are all high population efforts. Uh, and And I think they they, they they mesh well. It's you know, uh, again, we're 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 looking at nationalized campaigns at every level, you know, down to dog catcher. so 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 what you have to do is you have to look at the, the the entire universe of spending here.
1: Audrey, I think there are ways in which you can look at the way a convention is uh, planned to unfold at how the folks who are producing it uh, line up speakers, themes for a given night. Um, And it tells us a lot about how the party is uh, um, positioning itself, but also how they're feeling about um, their own tent and and who's in the tent and who's not. And I say that because I'm interested in the fact, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, uh, Bernie Sanders is in fact speaking on Monday night, Audrey, the Mm -hmm. first night of the convention. Um, And he's got to be there because clearly... His liberal uh, policy positions are a very important part of the party right now. But I also notice he's speaking on Monday night. He's being, he's he's got, there's three nights between him and Joe Biden, and and there are much more moderate Democrats who are being lined up to speak as the week goes on. That may be just me reading into it, but it also suggests to me that they are certainly making clear how important those, left-wing of the party is, but doing it at the beginning of the week and moving on to the more centrist uh, messaging.
3: Yes, but do you know who else is speaking on Monday night with Sanders? Uh, John Kasich, who doesn't happen Uh, to be a Democrat. Yeah. So uh, then that plays into the the big tent theme. Um, And I'm guessing that Sanders will likely be sort of present on Thursday when they bring in the whole corral of uh, candidates. But I should mention, you're talking about themes – It'd be interesting, and maybe Wendy can say something about the platform for the Democrats. The interesting thing about the Republicans, even though they're holding um, some live delegates in, Mil- in um, Charlotte, excuse me, they're recycling the 2016 platform. They're basically going to be using the same platform they used in 2016, um, which tells you there's not a lot of change. And their themes are all land of heroes, land of promise, land of opportunity, and land of greatness, closing out the night when Trump speaks. So some different, you know, you're really right, Bill. I mean, there's some really interesting thematic differences going on in the parties.
0: Yes. Um, so our, our platform uh, was uh, subject to a great deal of uh, work and debate and, uh, and time and energy. And I think you see us uh, president the presence of some of the um, prominent uh, leaders on the left wing of our party with Senator Sanders AOC uh, you know Senator Warren has a very prominent uh, position uh, as a speaker and um, there are a lot of those folks who didn't think our platform went far enough to the left um, but I think it it does what you will see next week it represents the at the breadth and the diversity of, of our nation and how our party is focused on uh, on people, on our neighbors, and on moving our country forward and making sure people have the educational resources they need, the healthcare resources they need, and, uh, and that we're all pulling together uh, to move the country forward.
1: Um, I want to get to our final break. before I do though, Jim, I could, I'll could. bet you we both had the same thought, maybe all of us did, when we saw that former Republican Ohio Governor John Kasich, who ran, of course, for president in 2016, is speaking at the Democratic National Convention, kind of brought back 2004 for me, Jim. I don't know about you.
2: Yeah, yeah, the, the, but but the the key element that's going to be missing is Chris Chris Matthews, uh, who, who has, re- well, yeah, who has yeah, retired we're, from we're, MSNBC. That's when that's when uh, Zell. Uh, you, well, we got we've got to, we got to get the background. The importance of this was Zell gave the keynote yes. in '92 for the Bill Clinton nomination. Uh, and then, of exactly course, uh, right. was still a Democrat when he did when he did it. it uh, attended the the two thousand four RNC in, in Philadelphia, and and uh, uh, he got uh, Zell became a pariah in the Democratic Party for that. And 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 I, I think Kasich is already on on his way. Uh, uh, he and Mitt Romney have kind of become persona non grata uh, within G- yeah. the, the the GOP ranks. Brian.
1: Uh, you look back at that 2004 speech, it's, there's a difference between what Kasich is likely to present himself like uh, uh, when he speaks on Monday night and what Zell did in 2004. Zell gave what I think it's fair to say was one of the single angriest convention speeches uh, ever. He was, he was mad at the Democratic Party. He was mad at Chris Matthews. He was mad at the world. And it showed to the entire country that night, Brian.
4: Yes, it did. You know, Bill, I have spent in my entire (laughs) professional life in politics one day at a national convention, and it was that day. I was there in Madison Square Garden (laughs) for for that seat, where where he accused John Kerry of trying to defend our nation with spitballs.
1: <laughs> all right, just, just a little blast from the past uh, from a guy who we all, I think, uh, whether we were on his side in terms of partisanship, in terms of his uh, of philosophy of government, was uh, we were all incredibly fond of uh, Zell Miller, one of the great figures and great characters in Georgia politics. All right, let's get our final break of the show out of the way. When we come back, I want to ask this panel uh, what they're seeing as they see the way— they, The Trump White House and the GOP is going after Kamala Harris. Some interesting, interesting things happening there. This is Political Rewind. Uh, Jim Galloway, it is not surprising uh, uh, that uh, the Republicans uh, began attacking Kamala Harris as soon as she was named to be Biden's vice presidential running mate. It's standard procedure. The Democrats do it, too. Uh, But what what I think we are now seeing uh, brings out some more troubling aspects of the way in which that attack, those many attacks, are unfolding. And, of course, let's say, first of all, all, there are some pretty legitimate areas where you can attack Kamala Harris in terms of her record, and they'll probably do that. But New York Times uh, said this. Uh, In a news story today, President Trump on Thursday encouraged a racist conspiracy theory that is rampant among some of his followers, that Senator Kamala Harris, the presumptive Democratic vice presidential nominee born in Oakland, California, was not eligible for the vice presidency because her parents were immigrants. Mr. Trump, speaking to reporters, nevertheless pushed forward with the attack reminiscent of the lie he perpetrated for years that President Barack Obama was born in Kenya I heard it today that she doesn't meet the requirements, Mr. Trump said. I have no no idea if that's right. I would have thought, I would have assumed that the Democrats would have checked that out before she gets chosen to run for vice president. And Jim, the right-wing echo chamber, some of the people on Fox News are pushing that same theory. And one of the other things they're doing is saying, by the way, she's not really black. This um, This campaign is going to get unbelievably nasty
2: yeah in the in in the south we call that i'm not saying i'm just saying uh, <laughs> uh and 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 it's it it's 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 discouraging uh it tells you it tells you that this this race this contest this presidential contest isn't isn't going to be uh fought on policy or issues it's going to be fought on identity and who is an american and who is not an american uh, uh and there is no question that uh, Kamala harris comma and then law uh Harris is, a, yes. is 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 an american her father was born in jamaica her mother was born in india uh and you know i i, I one, one interesting thing she was thing born did, here she was born in oakland you know you don't get much yeah. more american than oakland california <laughs> Uh, w- w- one thing I, you know, it's, it's you've got all these permut- permutations because we've never had uh, 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 anyone with Asian an- ancestry, uh, definable a- Asian andest- uh, ancestry, in a in a in a in a presidential contest. And for instance, it's got these interesting permutations because, for instance, in Georgia, Republicans have been very very good about, uh, uh, capturing kind of the votes of Indian Americans that, uh, the, 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 there, there, there are plenty of them in Georgia. A lot of them are, 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 are live in Gwinnett County or in that, the, in that area. And you have to wonder what that's going to do, uh, when, when, uh, Kamala Harris comes through, through Atlanta. Um, Brian,
1: you were known in your days with Governor Deal as being a guy who knew how to play hardball. Um, you did it well. Uh, uh, and, and you were capable of launching some pretty fierce attacks here and there. But is this the kind of attack that you think your friends in the Republican Party ought to be making against uh, Senator Harris?
4: Yeah, well, I do. I do want to say that uh, my ferocity normally came out when we were being unfairly accused of something, which in 2010 and 2011 was quite often. <laughs> uh, but I, I generally was not one to uh, just go willy-nilly and attack people. Um, I, I don't think that this is going to be something that Trump dwells on. I think this is going to be a one-day blurb. Uh, I don't know what they're saying on Fox News Channel, but I would assume it would be, hey, here's this lawyer in California who's raising the constitutional issue. What does the Constitution say? Uh, I, I think even Trump sort of danced around it. It's a a tool that he uses. People are saying I'm hearing it gives him a back door on those things. It's it's something that um, you see him do often to float trial balloons. But this isn't something that's going to hunt. The lady was born in Oakland, California. Let's move on.
3: He knows it's Audrey,
1: not.
3: go ahead. I, sorry, Wendy. I was just going to say that um, much of my research that I've done talks about um, attack. Politics, attack messaging. And one of the things that we know is that when you are behind and when you are thinking that you are losing, you go on the attack. And the interesting thing is, Trump is already doing that. And if you look at the messaging and the literature that they're sending out, the attacks on Kamala Harris are, I basically would describe them as everything, including the kitchen sink. And they are contradictory. They're saying she's weak on crime. Oh, no, she's tough on crime. You know, she's not black. Oh, she's very black. You know, I mean, you've got <laughs> these really contradictory things coming from all these different sources. And it'd be interesting to see what Wendy says about um, that. I'll let you follow up.
0: Thanks. Um, so what I was going to say is it, it really depends. Uh, uh, Jim, I think a lot of people might have shaken their heads when they said when you said Oakland couldn't be more American. Right. There are a lot of people. That's part of our conflict. Right. Um, there are a lot of people who think Californians aren't Americans at all. And I think that's the contrast you'll see in the two conventions. Our convention, led by a, a fabulously well-qualified ticket, uh, has we're, the convention is going to show the breadth of America. We're going to show city leaders all the way up to the senators and our soon-to-be new president and vice president. It's, it's a diverse and um, an interesting coalition. Um, But the racist conspiracy theories, as the article you mentioned, said, aren't going to stop with silliness from the White House. Uh, They come, unfortunately, to my congressional district, uh, where we have a a, a fringe candidate. Uh, But don't forget, we do have a Democrat running against her, Kevin Van Osdahl. So uh, I'm looking forward to our convention next week. And uh, I think I'll be shaking my head a lot the week after at their definition of America.
1: So Brian, you want, I you're welcome to have a very quick response to that, but I got a much I've got a really important question to ask you. Are you we'll ready to, to just let me ask a question, or do you want to? <laughs> yes, resp- sir. Okay, uh, Brian. I see more pictures on Facebook of you, your daughter, your wife, uh, between the hedges on Saturday afternoons at yeah. University of Georgia football, and well, there's big questions as to whether the SEC is going to have to follow. Uh, the uh, other major conferences in not playing football. And, and that's a sports matter. But the fact that this has become politicized, that the president seems to be leading the charge, however, uh, sort of indirectly, saying that it's Democrats' fault, it's liberals' fault, that we're not going to have college football. How, how, how many more things can we, public, can we politicize at any one time, Brian?
4: I uh, It's the rule now, uh, Bill. Everything has to be political. <laughs> so, so this is just going <laughs> to fall in line with that. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that uh, there probably is a strong feeling amongst the conservative base that football season should go ahead. So on the political score, you can see the leaders saying what their people want to hear on this and so uh, I I do think that there is that sort of the the political calculation and like for me Bill as you as you said there is no place no place that is more surreal that brings me more joy than walking down the hill to the valley where Sanford Stadium is and hearing the crowd and the band and seeing the pageantry and watching my dogs play it is it is my happy place and (laughs) I will tell you, I want to see them play. I want to see a season happen. But I do not see a scenario where I take my daughter into a stadium in this environment. Uh I want to be watching it on my TV.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Bill. Yep. I know we, we're, we're sh- running short, short on time, but let me make a couple points. When uh, you had Raul, David Ralston, the speaker, uh, and and Governor Brian Kemp weigh in on the SEC decision to at least postpone a decision not to cancel the season until until after September, and uh, Brian Kemp used the word sacred, which I thought was was uh, was interesting in connection with with football. But the real fight is going to be in Alabama where Tommy Tuberville is going after Senator uh, Democratic incumbent Senator Doug Jones for not supporting the SEC effort to keep the football going strongly enough and Tuberville of course is is the former Auburn Auburn coach. I hadn't seen that. That's
1: really fascinating, Jim Galloway. Well, we'll add that to the things we watch uh, as we see whether or not Doug Jones the most vulnerable a Democrat uh, up for re election in November has any chance of holding on to his seat. Now we know how important a role uh, football might uh, play in all of that. By the way, Doug Jones is also scheduled to speak at the convention on Monday night. All right, we're just out of, about out of time uh, today. Brian Robinson. Uh, Audrey Haynes, pleasure to have both of you here. Audrey, please stay safe when you start classes back up again. I know they're coming up rapidly, and we want you to take care of yourself, please. Okay.
3: Thank you, Bill.
1: Okay, <laughs> all right. Wendy Davis, enjoy your virtual convention, uh, thank and uh, uh, thanks for doing the show. We'll we'll see you back here at some point pretty soon. Jim Galloway, thank you. Of course, you'll be back with me on Monday's show. So Monday, we start our coverage of the Democratic National Convention. Uh, Hardy Davis, the mayor of Augusta, who's a delegate, will be with us. Theron Johnson, who's senior advisor to the uh, Biden campaign in Georgia, will be here. We'll have a couple of other delegates with us as well. And we'll get started on the conventions. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Please take care and stay healthy. See you all on Monday.